Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Good evening, everyone. Lots and lots of news ahead on tonight's readout, starting with word that Senator Pat Leahy of Vermont, the president pro tem of the United States Senate and the man set to preside over the impeachment trial of the former president, has been hospitalized tonight. We'll have more on that coming up. But we turn first, however, to Joe Biden's presidency, now seven full days old. We've already seen a serious turn of page. The president took several calls with foreign leaders today, and they were notable for being uncharacteristically opposite of what we've seen over the past four years. They were friendly to America's traditional friends and confrontational with our traditional adversaries. Go figure. During his final foreign leader call of the day with Russian President Vladimir Putin, Biden replaced his predecessor's dictator envy with objection to Kremlin interference in our elections and confronted the Russian autocrat over the hack of our federal government systems, election interference, and alleged bounties placed on U.S. troops. Again, quite a change of season. The new administration is already rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, ending the travel ban, strengthening DACA, while reversing the environmental policies of the former White House occupant, who remains a climate change denier, even as his MAGA oasis, otherwise known as Florida, is sinking. President Biden's victory is a story about change. It's also a story about what he's inherited, a country nearing collapse under the strains of the coronavirus and racial inequities, a nation reeling from a violent constitutional crisis and a Republican Party that loathes Democrats as much as they loathe democracy and who today largely indicated that they would rather look away from an attempted insurrection that even threatened their own lives. President Biden inherited a government still occupied by operatives of the former president, from the Defense Department to the U.S. Postal Service, along with a pandemic one year in that has killed nearly 425,000 people, more than have died of COVID in any other country on Earth. We now know what we've always known, that the former administration had no plan. Vaccines are missing. The economy is gutted with millions out of work. So, yes, there is a lot of work to do. But with Democrats in control of both houses of Congress and the presidency for the first time in a decade, the Biden administration is moving quickly to turn the page. The administration is working to purchase an additional 100 million doses of each of the two FDA authorized vaccines, providing enough to fully vaccinate 300 million Americans by the end of summer. More than four. 100,000 Americans have already died. More than all the people who died in all the Americans who died in World War II. This is a wartime undertaking. It's not hyperbole. And as such, I directed the team to be ready to exercise all the authorities I have under the Defense Production Act and expedite these vaccines. 
Joining me now is Yamiche Alcindor, White House correspondent for PBS NewsHour. And Yamiche, great to see you as always. I want to start by asking about um, Senator Leahy, any news that you have on his condition uh, or what the White House is thinking uh, or whether or not they've been in contact with him. I was just talking to White House officials about this. The White House is in some ways just taking in this information, which is that Senator Leahy was taken and, and, and admitted to the hospital out of an abundance of caution. Um, Senator Leahy, of course, was seen today. He was out on the Senate floor presiding over um, impeachment, that impeachment vote where Rand Paul was trying to stop uh, the impeachment trial for being unconstitutional. I think a lot of eyes are still trying to watch what happens because, of course, one, the Senate is so, so tight with a 50-50 tie. Uh, you can't really afford to lose anybody, um, not only, of course— wishing him well to recover, but also just for the time being, if there's anything that you want to get done, you need all 50 senators to be there. The other thing is, of course, that it's top of mind that um, there could be issues and complications going forward. Well, and that is the other issue, right? Because there was a, there were a lot of executive actions. There have been more than 30 executive actions taken so far. There was another one today on racial equity. But there is this question of how much they can get done through executive actions and how much they need to legislate. There's that, you know, blessed 100 days. We're seven days into the 100 days when you get the most done. Um, is the fact that they're now really thinking top of mind about that Senate majority changing their strategy at all about what they intend to send to the floor? It's a good question. Um, and the big question is, how are what how are they going to work with Congress and where are they going to get passed? Because there is, of course, this issue where, yes, Joe Biden has now passed um, some 30 or 35 almost executive orders. We're nearing um, that that a high number there. But the big question is real money, real change, real legis real change in this country comes through legislative action. And what you see here is Joe Biden trying to push in and push through this one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief package. And he's already getting bipartisan pushback on that lawmakers telling me that right now there aren't 50 votes for even that idea. So there is a big question on whether or not some of these executive orders and, and really the focus on equity is going to somehow turn into legislation because there's so much to legislate, including, of course, something that wasn't mentioned today, which is a policing in this country. They talked about um, private mm. pr prisons, but we didn't see a policing bill. Joe Biden talked about um, George Floyd in the eight minutes and 46 seconds that he died. But again, I'm asking the White House, and I haven't really gotten a clear answer yet, how are they going to also um, look at success? How are they going to measure that? What is what is rooting out systemic racism actually look like in numbers and data? That's a critical issue when you think about the fact that racism is something we've been living with for so long. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. 
No, it's a really good question. And I've been watching the uh, briefings, which are, it's refreshing just to see a briefing at all. But I don't feel like we're getting a lot of specifics on timing. As you said, what legislation is going to the floor when, whether it's on policing, whether it's, you know, the specifics on the rollout in terms of the vaccine rollout. Um, do, do you get a sense that the White House has put things in an order where the first thing they want to see go to the floor is X or the, or the you know, do you think that they've got that in mind or is it just seven days in and they just haven't figured that out yet? You know, the number one thing I'm hearing is the COVID relief package. That is what they want to see go to the floor. Lawmakers that I talk to that are familiar with the White House's thinking here think that they might even break up that $1.9 trillion package to really cut off a couple hundred billion that they can um, get past. That would be dealing with getting more vaccines, more vaccinators, and more vaccination sites. So vaccines is really top of mind and something that they want to get pushed. They also, of course, are looking at minimum wage and other things, but they really understand that to get Republican buy-in and also to get critical Democrats um, who don't want to, at, at this point, um, take take votes that might put the, their, their, their tie in jeopardy. Um, they want to focus and be seen as doing emergency relief. And that, in some ways, means mm. focusing specifically on the vaccine and, and COVID and not so much on other things like, like worker wages. I'm sorry yeah. for that. Big, yeah, good point and great reporting as always. Yumi Shalsendor, thank you very much. Always appreciate you. Thank you. And joining me now is Cedric Richmond, senior advisor to the president and director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. So let's engage the public then, uh, Mr. Richmond, um, on this question of what needs to go to the floor when. A lot of Americans um, chose not just this president, Joe Biden, but also voted in that Georgia election on the basis of a promise that there would be $2,000 checks in the hands of Americans ASAP. How quickly can Americans expect the White House to push through, um, to push Congress to get that money into people's hands? Well, Joy, you're exactly right. I think that's why you saw us <clears throat> within the first two or three days in office uh, introduce the American Rescue Plan because uh, one, we made commitments Two, uh, what people got in December was a down payment. It was six hundred dollars. We wanted to see that number at two thousand. So we introduced legislation uh, and we're requesting Congress to hurry up and act on it, which would increase it to fourteen hundred. It also put out their money for vaccinations. It would put out their money to safely reopen schools and get our kids back in school. So it would do uh, a number of things that we desperately need, including uh, getting another hundred thousand uh, healthcare workers out there to uh, properly administer the vaccine, mobile units to make sure we're hitting uh, hard to uh, reach neighborhoods and rural communities. And so we, we need uh, Congress uh, to act on this plan and we want to do it in a bipartisan manner. Uh, but this is an emergency for the country. And so we're stressing it and we're talking well to everybody about it. Well, you talked about a bipartisan manner. I think for a lot of Americans, they understand what Republicans are. They watched Republicans for eight years under President Obama when then Vice President Joe Biden was a part of that administration. They know how Republicans operate. We just saw Mitch McConnell fight with the now majority leader for over a week over an organizing resolution. If he was willing to try brinksmanship with that, it, it, are we at the point now, especially given Senator Leahy being in the hospital, which just clarifies the mind about how narrow the majority is, does the White House think it might be more prudent to just get something on the floor now, get the $2,000 checks? I assume you mean by 1400 1400 added to the 600 to get to 2000 Should you break it up and just start sending things to the floor now? 
Look, that's a legislative strategy that uh, some people have advocated for, but others have uh, clearly articulated that if you separate it out, then we're going to leave uh, families behind, like the enhanced earned uh, earn income tax credit, the doubling of the child uh, tax credit or the increasing of the child tax credit that lifts so many of our families that are living in poverty out of poverty this year. And so, uh, you know, we don't want to leave anyone uh, behind. The $1,400 is a priority, but also getting the vaccinations in the arms of American people is just as important. And we're not sacrificing anything. We have until March 15th before the uh, eviction and foreclosure moratorium expires, un- uh, unemployment insurance unexpires. Unexp- uh, and so we're looking at a deadline, but we are pushing as hard as we possibly can. We are calling and asking members of Congress to act on this legislation, because at the end of the day, this pandemic is not picking people based on party affiliation, uh, color or income level. And we want and expect Congress uh, to come along and help us help the American people. And so we're not going to camp- compromise our values in an effort to reach a bipartisan compromise. Uh, but we promised that we would reach out and extend our hand of bipartisanship. But we also promised we wouldn't sacrifice our values or helping the American people. So right now we're doing both. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We've already seen um, a federal court in Texas try to block the deportation pause um, that the president has implemented. You're already seeing a pushback there. Um, You've already seen complaining um, about some of the language about racial equity um, coming from the other side. Um, There's been this executive action on racial inequity, which I expect to get a lot of pushback as well. It directs HUD to mitigate racial bias. It um, gets a DOJ not to renew any contracts with private prisons, all kinds of stuff that Republicans like and they want to keep. Is it is it worth pursuing bipartisanship instead of you instead of encouraging Democratic senators to use the power they have while they have it? This power can be temporary to force these pieces of legislation through now and make up with Republicans later. Well, Joe, the pieces of legislation like the president called for restoring the Voting Rights Act today, the John Lewis uh, bill. Uh, But that takes 60 votes. And so we're talking about a 50 50 uh, majority with the vice president breaking uh, the tie. A lot of this is going to require 60 votes. But for those things that we can do by executive order, we're going to do by executive order uh, because it's a priority. So when you started uh, off talking about uh, whether it's the deportation pause, whether it's protecting uh, our dreamers, whether it's the diversity inclusion rollback or the uh, embarrassing 1776 commission. Those are things we can do by executive order and we're going to do them. And so we're the first administration to roll out a whole of government approach to racial equity. And it's going to create uh, a very intentional uh, movement by this administration to, to make sure we tackle systemic racism uh, across agencies and government wide. So we're excited about those things we can do uh, on our own. 
And remember, this is day seven, one week. Uh, I think we still have 1,454 days left, and we're going to work <laughs> each and every one of those. Well, hopefully, so. uh, hopefully you all will come back. Uh, please, you can come back any one of those 1,400-plus days uh, and answer some more questions. We know that the, uh, our audience loves to hear from the administration directly. So thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Cedric Richmond, cheers. Thank you very much. And up next on the readout, more uh, now in firm control of the political agenda, can Democrats avoid the mistakes they made 12 years ago, hoping for kumbaya with Republicans? Plus, as senators take their impeachment oath, the Republicans, eh, they still seem unwilling to hold the former president accountable for his attempted coup. Can Democrats convince more than a handful of them to convict? Back with more of the readout after this. He is not the majority leader. He's the minority leader. And he is not going to get his way. We are not going to do what he wants. And that is universal, Rachel, in my caucus. We will not let Mitch McConnell dictate to us what we will do and not do, period. In his interview last night with our very own Rachel Maddow, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer vowed that Democrats would stand firm in his negotiations over a power sharing agreement with minority leader Mitch McConnell. And not 15 minutes into that interview, McConnell jumps on Twitter to announce that he's dropping his demand for a guarantee that Democrats would preserve the filibuster, a total cave on his lone demand, which he tried to Twitter spin into victory. That means that at least for now, the requirement that the majority find 60 votes to pass most major legislation will remain in place. And McConnell, though, if he goes back to his old Obama era ways of filibustering everything and anything, will only have the assurances of two Democratic centrists who opposed nuking the filibuster to rely on. Test their patience, and the filibuster could still die a quick death. Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Sinema of Arizona have said they would honor that 60-vote threshold for now, meaning that Mitch might not want to stand in the way of the things that West Virginians and Arizonans want and need, or else. It's the first of many confrontations that are sure to come. Now, Washington Post columnist Eugene Robinson says, that when Republicans stand in the way, Democrats should not hesitate to exert the power that they earned in November. He says that GOP senators have to realize that compromise doesn't mean Republicans win and Democrats lose. Not anymore. And Eugene Robinson joins me now, along with David Jolly, former Republican congressman who's no longer affiliated with the party. And Eugene, I'm going to go to you first. There is a thing that, Demo that frustrates Democratic voters, that when Republicans win, they say, we win, F your feelings, we're doing everything we want. And they find some magical way to get what mm -hmm. they want done. And that when Democrats win, they mm -hmm. go, oh, please, Republicans, won't you be our friends and compromise with us? What do you need? <laughs> How can we give it to you? It, it, it is frustrating. Now Democrats have the power. I'm with you. What, what would you advise them to do right now with just the 50 votes that they've got in the Senate? OK, well, first of all, they got their organizing resolution right. So they're going to, you know, organize the Senate and, and name the committee chairs and and move forward. And I would advise them to to, to move ahead with the with the big covid legislation in regular order. Um, uh, it, they don't have to do anything rash right now, but. They should keep that threat in abeyance. And that threat is very much still there, by the way. I mean, you know, with Manchin and, and cinema, you know, in politics, never actually means maybe, um, and, as you know, and, and it depends on the on the it depends on the situation, it depends on the circumstances. But look, they have just watched a, a years long um, masterclass in 
the the use of naked power by Mitch McConnell. And he's he's been really good at it. And you saw what he did to Merrick Garland. You saw what he did with uh, Amy Comey Barrett. Uh, You've seen what he did with all those judges that he pushed through. Um, He had the power and he used it. And Democrats who watched this for years must have learned something. That's how you run the Senate. And that's how <laughs> that's how Chuck Schumer needs to run the Senate. And, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell knows he lost last night. He came out with a tweet, uh, you know, today, um, a further statement saying, well, if they go ahead and, you know, get rid of the filibuster, we're going to scorch the earth. And I, I guess he would. But but that was to me, that was a sign of weakness. That was a sign that you know, gee, I'm, I don't run this joint anymore. He does. And, um, and, and I think everybody should keep that reality in mind. Oh, no, I, I immediately thought that, you know, David, as soon as I saw that tweet at 914, I'm watching the Rachel Maddow interview <laughs> 14 minutes in, suddenly he pops up on Twitter like, uh, so here's what I'm going to do. It's like, dude, you're admitting you lost, but you're trying to spin it. And at least some journalist picked up and went, well, okay, I guess he won. He, he try, he, one thing I will give Republicans credit for is even when they lose, they say they won. Even when they, Donald Trump actually got almost nothing that he said he was going to do. He did not repeal Obamacare. He did not build a wall. But they yeah. spin it like they win it. And Democrats don't do that. Do you, can you just explain a little bit of that DNA? Of Is, is it fear? Yeah. Because look, right now the state parties are cuckoo, right? They're, they're terrified of their own voters. They're afraid their sure. voters will actually blow up their homes and hurt them. So the state parties are absolutely bananas. Is it because of fear that makes them so? Like, I don't know. What is it? Explain it. Look, I I mean, Republicans have demonstrated in the last decade that they play cutthroat politics in a way that Democrats simply don't. And and whether you've got to play cutthroat or not, look, that the baseline to all of this we're about to see play out in the in the Senate and with Joe Biden, Joy, is the only way. The only way Joe Biden's agenda passes through the Congress is if Chuck Schumer does an end around the legislative filibuster by either eliminating the filibuster or by using the reconciliation process. Mm -hmm. There is no pathway to getting 60 votes in the Senate for Joe Biden's agenda. So Schumer and the Democrats need to accept that and then make the political calculus that they think makes the most sense for them. You know, and that political calculus is an interesting one. Did you did Democrats sweep everything based on an ideological platform or was there a segment that was just trying to get rid of Donald Trump? And even if it wasn't a full ideological platform, is it worth it to move through Democratic priorities and then and then test those priorities at the ballot box the next time? You can look at the Affordable Care Act as an example of Democrats pushing through something that some would make the case ultimately lost in the Congress in 2010. But I think Every Democrat would probably say it was worth it. We got it done. Schumer needs to make the calculation. What is it worth? What agenda is worth the political calculus? And then forget about the 60 vote majority because you're not getting there. So just play hardball. Well, I mean, and the bottom line is in the short term, the Affordable Care Act lost Democrats the House. But I would argue it then won them much, much more because defending Obamacare became a calling card of the Democratic Party once people realized what it was. Even in Kentucky, they threw a governor out who said, I'm getting rid of Obamacare. People are like, get rid of Obamacare. (laughs) Oh, wait, you mean my health (laughs) care? Hold on a second. (laughs) Hold on. Don't get too crazy. Right. Like, so, I mean, uh, can we just talk for a moment about the fears of the Republican Party? I just started talking about the state parties. 
Oregon's mm-hmm. Republican Party called the U.S. Capitol riot a false flag. That's the party itself. You have Arizona yeah. Republicans throwing Jeff Flake, who's not even in power anymore, and Cindy McCain out and getting mad at the governor. Like the, the, the state parties have lost it and they're all beyond the former president mad. What do you think those incentives wind up doing to Republicans and to Democrats? And I'll start with you first, Eugene. Well, uh, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that some of these state party officials are literally afraid of their constituents. And, uh, you know, the Rep- Republican Party at the grassroots is uh, is is a Trump cult of personality at, at this point. And uh, the elected officials, uh, you know, are, are, are still trying to deal with that. I mean, some of them are pandering to it. Others are getting out of the party. I mean, they're, they're trying to deal with what yeah. this party has become, uh, and this is going to be something for Republicans to try to work out uh, over over time. Uh, but I agree with David in terms of, of of the Democrats. Do reconciliation on the COVID package, get it through, yep. and then move to the next thing. You know, <laughs> just move to the next yep. thing. And and, and if it's got to pass we, with fifty votes plus Kamala Harris, do that, and then move to the next thing. Just do it. And move mm-hmm, to, and, 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 right. And I, I wish I had more time, but we're out of time because David, you have to come back though, because I'm doing a whole segment on on, <laughs> on my former state in your state. Because Lord right, Jesus have mercy on Florida, because <laughs> Lord have mercy. We're going. We're talking about this. You got to come back. Uh, <laughs> Eugene it. Robinson and David Jolly. <laughs> Woo! Be safe, David. Woo! Oh, still ahead. <laughs> Florida, as senators are sworn in for the impeachment trial, Republicans are also busy putting on a stunning display of hypocrisy and hubris. That's next. The second impeachment trial of the former president is effectively underway. Today, all 100 senators were sworn in with Democrats in the majority as would-be jurors to hear the case against the now-retired MAGA cult leader and full-time Florida man for inciting an insurrectionist riot in a Senate chamber that was, in effect, a crime scene. The trial won't start until two weeks from today, but Republican senators are already back on there. Well, you know, the majority of them, 45 to be exact, voted in favor of a motion from Kentucky Tea Party Republican Rand Paul to dismiss the trial as unconstitutional. Those voting with Paul included Republican minority leader Mitch McConnell. Only five Republicans joined Democrats in opposition to the motion, which failed. Today's vote is a litmus test for what we could see when senators finally vote on whether to convict, except they were already saying it out loud. The man who will forever be known as Lo Marco Rubio tweeted this morning that the waste of time impeachment isn't about accountability. Not surprisingly, Florida's Mr. Cellophane felt differently when Republicans were obsessing over Benghazi in 2013. This is not about politics. This is about accountability. Someone needs to be held accountable for what's happened here, but it's also about preventing this from happening in the future. This is not about hurting anybody politically. This is about getting to the truth. Oh, really? I'm joined now by Senator Alex Padilla of California, who will consider the case against the former president. And Senator, I feel like, you know, Senator Rubio is just one example that I could pull from. But it seems to me that they have flipped the Benghazi standard on its head for the former president. How do you think that this is going to be a legitimate real trial or or do you think Republicans have already made up their mind to let the former president off the hook? 
Look, Joe, I think you bring up a great point, right? Republicans can't have it both ways. They're either in this job uh, to uh, execute the oath of office that we've all (laughs) sworn uh, to do, to uphold the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And while, yes, we have a formal trial ahead of us, uh, the whole nation, the whole world saw in real time on television the insurrection, the violent insurrection, the deadly insurrection in our nation's capital, absolutely uh, instigated by Donald Trump and his enablers. You know, what's 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 really sort of madness, if you think about it, is that the people who will be voting, including yourself, sir, were the victims of this attack. The former president sent a riotous mob into the Capitol to hurt people, some of them to maybe do worse. They had a noose. They had a hangman's noose and were chanting, where's Mike Pence? Produce Mike Pence. They were demanding to have Nancy Pelosi. They were going to hurt people. If not, and five people died. I, I, I wonder if you, in conversations with other than the five who voted to go forward today, only five of them could see their way through to say that it should even happen a trial. When they talk to you outside of these five, do you think that your fellow members are too afraid of their own constituents to go forward or that they ideologically think it's okay for the former president to have tried to overthrow the election? Look, honestly and sadly, it's a mix, right? Is it uh, facing a constituency? Is it standing up to, to the Trump base within the Republican Party? I don't know, but let me, let me make it one better, Joy. It's not just that uh, the, the members of the Senate, along with the House members that voted on the impeachment uh, in the last couple of weeks, are the victims of what happened on January 6th. The trial itself is happening at the scene of the crime. If there's any doubt, just look outside the window because uh, the, 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 the physical impact of January 6th is still there. Well, yeah. And, and, and when I went in to do an interview with the speaker, you could fi- you could still feel it. Right. There are windows that are still broken. It's it's shocking to me that this is going to take place, as you said, at the scene um, of the crime. Do you think, in your view, is it right that two of the people aren't victims? Two of them are perpetrators, to be honest. Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz participated in what happened. Do you think that they should be allowed to sit through this trial or do you think they should be expelled or censured? Uh, Look, absolutely. I've been saying from the beginning, nobody is above the law. Donald Trump must be held accountable, but it does not end with him. He's had far too many enablers, both in the White House while he was there and throughout his administration, including the two members of the United States Senate that you just named. So there must be consequences all around. And you're newer, newer to the United States Senate. As you just walk around and deal with these senators, do you get the sense that there is an equal agreement between the two parties on the importance of democracy? Uh, I certainly don't sense that not in the last uh, uh, couple of weeks uh, as a conversation has been around impeachment. But look at the last four years, and frankly, a lot longer than that when you talk about fundamental faith in our democratic institutions. Is our democracy inclusive and representative or not? You look at the voter suppression activity that took place, uh, not just in the 2020 cycle, but over the course of our nation's history and the tactics that Republican leaders are taking yet again in state after state across America. So, Sadly, Joy, the answer is no, which means it's both my opportunity and responsibility 
right, as a face of California, representing so many other constituencies in California and throughout the nation, to be the physical representation in the United States Senate to say, no, this is our country too, and we deserve a seat at the leadership table. It's one of the many, many things that incited yeah. so many people on January 6th. They want to have a debate as to who's an American, Indeed. and this is a chance for our democracy to show its resilience. Senator Alex Padilla, who I cannot believe is the first um, Latino uh, United States senator from California. Congratulations on that. It has been a long time coming, sir. And I think uh, <laughs> the America is better for having you there. Thank you very much. And up next, the strategy for this impeachment trial. It should be pretty straightforward, right? You just heard the senator. Just roll the videotape. If a picture is worth a thousand words, well, these pictures, coupled with the former president's words, well, will that ensure a guilty verdict? You'd think. Congressman Adam Schiff, who led the last impeachment trial. Join me next. He has betrayed our national security, and he will do so again. He has compromised our elections, and he will do so again. You will not change him. You cannot constrain him. He is who he is. Truth matters little to him. What's right matters even less, and decency matters not at all. Joining me now is Congressman Adam Schiff of California, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and the lead impeachment manager from the first impeachment trial of the former president. And I hate to say uh, you told us so, but you did, sir. Um, and I wonder just what you make of this coming trial. I mean, your Thaddeus Stevens-like eloquence could not convince more than one United States senator on the other side, on the Republican side, to convict when it was seemed so obvious to so many people that the former president was guilty. Um, what do you think maybe might be said differently, given that the scene of the crime is where the trial is taking place? Well, it's a very different trial, very different facts. Uh, and as you point out, all of these senators were really witnesses to the crime. But even so, uh, you know, I think what we learned in the first trial is um, we thought that, you know, the hearings uh, in the House, which were so well publicized, meant that the senators would be very familiar with the facts. When we got to the Senate, we learned that that was not the case, that many of them only knew about the facts of the president's Ukraine scandal filtered through Fox News or Breitbart or these other, you know, highly politicized, uh, you know, news, uh, you know, presentations by, by Sean Hannity and the like. So when we showed them the actual evidence, a lot of them were quite stunned that it was as powerful and overwhelming as it is. Uh, and I don't think we should assume that all of these senators have seen all the video that are familiar with everything the president said in that speech. Know what the president, for example, said to the secretary of state in Georgia. And it's, of course, all of this is part of a pattern. Uh, and telling that story, I think, to the senators is important. But maybe even more important, telling that story to the American people is important uh, to try to protect our country from someone like this ever occupying office again. Well, I mean, I think you make an excellent point that, right, that, you know, Republican senators are probably taking in the same kind of news sources as their voters. And so you're right. They may not have seen it all in sort of linear fashion and looking through it. I wonder if you if you were involved in this uh, this particular trial, um, do you expect to see members of the Justice Department, the current and former called? Because we now have information that Donald Trump was going into the Justice Department, thinking about switching out the acting attorney general, trying to impact the election from multiple angles, whether it was from Georgia or from the Department of Justice. Would you expect to see people called both from Georgia and from the DOJ? 
Uh, you know, I have uh, every confidence uh, in Jamie Raskin. I think he's a brilliant lawyer and he has a wonderful team. So they will make those right uh, strategic decisions. Uh, and, you know, the challenge for this team, and we had a similar challenge, is not the, the scarcity of evidence, but the overwhelming abundance of it and trying to figure out what's the most important thing to communicate to these senators and also to the country that's watching. Uh, and so they'll have to decide is that the most powerful evidence? Uh, do we want to spend time on that? Uh, or is it better to keep focused on certain things uh, that are very simple, that are very easy to communicate? Uh, and with those decisions, I, as I said, I have every confidence in this team. And you were so, uh, you know, sort of wise about talking about the, the potential jeopardy to the country if there was an acquittal. And there was an acquittal. And we did see, as was prognosticated by yourself and other impeachment managers, this president then go after governors, um, try to go after our democracy itself and try to undermine it. In your view, what is the big risk if there is no conviction this time? You know, that's a great question. And it goes to the heart of this you know, tragic procedural vote we saw today, uh, where senators, contrary to the text of the Constitution, contrary to the logic of the Constitution and, and history essentially voted, you can't try a president once they've left office. We've, we've tried people once they've left office before. The risk is this. If a president is going to essentially try to overturn their election defeat, that will always happen at the end of their term. Uh, if they succeed, they become president for life. If they fail, uh, and we're to, to hold there's no repercussion, you can't try them, you can't disqualify them, then we can expect that will happen again. So the profound danger here is that Donald Trump or someone just like him runs in four years and loses and tries to cheat again. Uh, and maybe this time they're successful because, Joy, we came really close to losing our democracy. If yep. it wasn't for a handful of, of brave elections officials uh, and judges who had true independence, we might have lost our democracy. Yeah, indeed. And, and you know, I have to ask you this question as head, as the chairman of the um, House Intelligence Committee, your thoughts on seeing um, the fact that we did have the current president have a very different kind of call with Vladimir Putin and rebuke him um, for the allegations of, you know, putting bounties on our troops and rebuke him for the mistreatment of, of pro-democracy protesters. Just what did you make of that? And what change, uh, what do you think that change is going to mean for our national security? Uh, it means the world. And I, Joy, I can't tell you how grateful I was to see a U.S. president acting like a U.S. president. Uh, Joe Biden communicated, you got to stop meddling in our elections. There are going to be consequences. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm going to raise with you, confront with you these uh, reported bounties on the heads of our troops, this uh, major Russian hack uh, and other key malign activities like the poisoning of, of Navalny, this Russian opposition figure. Mm. But the, the, the president also said, look, um, we need to also find our mutual interest. Our mutual interest is in the uh, extension of the New START Treaty. That's exactly what a president should do. That puts our values first, our interests first. Gone are the days of a president being the sycophant of a dictator like Vladimir Putin. Yeah. And isn't it weird that just that normal stuff is like revolutionary now? It's it's sad that that's where we are. But yeah, it was a good day today. It's Congressman so Adam Schiff, so thank you, sir. Really appreciate you. Thank you very much. And up next, 
President Biden's executive orders addressing racial inequities include policing reforms and an end to federal use of private prisons. Those are good first steps, but is it enough? Stay with us. A coalition of 81 million diverse Americans elected President Biden, and now it's time for him to deliver. So far, in the face of an obstinate Republican Party, he's using his presidential authority to deliver at least incremental change. Today, he moved to address discriminatory housing practices, end federal contracts with private prisons, ensure the tribal independence of indigenous people, and make sure his administration combat xenophobia against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, something his, his predecessor refused to do. Before signing the new executive actions, President Biden made clear that racial equity benefits every American. For too long, we've allowed a narrow, cramped view of the promise of this nation to fester. You know, we've, uh, we've bought the view that America is a zero-sum game in many cases. If you succeed, I fail. If you get ahead, I fall behind. If you get the job, I lose mine. Maybe worst of all, if I hold you down, I lift myself up. We've lost sight of what President Kennedy told us when he said, a rising tide lifts all boats. And when we lift each other up, we're all lifted up. For more, I'm joined by Patrice Cullors, political strategist and co-founder and executive director of Black Lives Matter. Patrice, uh, always great to talk with you. So let's let's dig into it. Um, the executive actions that we saw today on equity, including restoring collective bargaining and worker protections for federal workers. It goes all the way through um, getting rid of that silly 1776 commission and having a covid task force on making sure that there's racial equity in terms of the vaccines, et cetera. When you see those executive actions as an activist, what's your reaction? Is it enough? Well, I want to just say that it's a nod towards much of the work that has been happening across the country. Organizers and advocates have fought for many of these um, directives in this executive order, but we know it's not enough. Um, we are literally um, dealing with 400 years of white supremacy, um, 400 years of anti-Black racism. And so there's so much more to do, and we will push this administration to do it. And you, we know that, it, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order, right? So executive orders can have power, um, but they're also not as permanent as legislation. Given the fact that there's such a razor-thin margin in the United States Senate, are you concerned that anything that President Biden and Vice President Harris enact now can just be overtaken when the inevitable backlash happens, whenever the next person that's like the former president gets in and they take it even further? Are you worried that it'll all be whisked away? Absolutely. I mean, I think we need to go beyond executive order. It's great that this administration is using executive order to you know, undo much of the Trump um, era. But we have to have legislation. You know, we've been talking about the BREATHE Act uh, with the Movement for Black Lives and Black Lives Matter for the last six to eight months. Um, this is federal legislation that will look at reinvesting into Black communities, um, uh, communities that have been divested from for uh, decades. We need to look at that and we need to look at that now. Um, I I'm curious what you think. You know, Black Lives Matter protests were the subjects of just thousands of arrests, nothing like what we've seen with these MAGA insurrectionists who've been arrested by the dozens. 
I wonder what you make of the fact that the one black guy, you know, the one black guy who decided he was going to go in MAGA with the rest of them is being held. His name is Emmanuel Jackson. Um, He was allegedly wielding a baseball bat. Um, He turned himself in. He's still being held pending trial. Whereas you have the woman who allegedly stole the laptop belonging to the Speaker of the House is on home release and cautioned because she apparently still logged on and got online when she wasn't supposed to. And you've had others who were accused of violence against um, police officers, et cetera, who are chilling at home awaiting trial. Your thoughts on that? Well, uh, it's rather simple. We have a criminal justice system that actually discriminates against Black people in particular. It's a criminal justice system that uh, allows for white people, uh, white passing people, to get away with often murder. Um, uh, Let's talk about George Zimmerman. And so this is not surprising to me. Uh, It's why this administration has to look at uh, police violence in particular and mass incarceration as key components to upending. We know that um, Joe Biden, as a human being, opposes the death penalty. Would you want to see something like a moratorium on the death penalty? And just what do you think criminal justice reform in general should look like? And should it include that? Yeah, absolutely. There have been advocates and organizers fighting for moratorium on the death penalty for years. Um, Here in uh, the state of California, uh, Governor Newsom called for a moratorium on on any deaths and the death penalty in particular. But I think we have to go further and imagine more. We know that police and prisons are the most um, invested in social service in our cities, uh, states, and in the country. So we have to um, reimagine and reinvest into Black communities. We need to pour dollars into housing infrastructure, into healthy food infrastructure, into adequate education. All of these places that have been completely divested from inside of Black America in particular. Has the White House or anyone from the Office of Public Engagement reached out uh, to talk to you, to, to, to leaders of Black Lives Matter and maybe bring you all into the White House for a conversation about all of this? Yeah, we the minute that uh, President Biden was declared the president, we sent an email and a letter to um, him and um, now Madam Vice President uh, Kamala Harris to sit with us. Um, their their team has contacted us. We have sat with the transition team. We're still looking forward to meeting with the president and Madam Vice President in the United States. We think that's important. Um, and uh, we have been reached out to um, by other p- people in their cabinet as well. Yeah. And, and what do you think Black Lives Matter, the movement looks like very briefly under a, a, this president as opposed to the last one? What does the movement gonna look like? I mean, very different in that we are not fighting a fascist and we don't have to spend all our energy every single day trying to challenge um, irrationality. But I do think that we will be pushing yeah. this administration. That's how it works with activism. And indeed, Patrice Cullors, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. 
Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.